what I want to share with you this morning is an aspect of the prophetic that I believe God is wanting us to begin to step into and begin to take responsibility for. You know, I've been involved in the prophetic now since around uh, the late 80s. Yeah, I'm out that old, okay? Uh, I got involved in the prophetic uh, when someone called me out in a church service and just blasted me with a word, okay? Anybody ever hear of Mark Sharona? Right? Well, back in those days, he was an itinerant, you know, speaker, went around different churches. And the church we were attending at the time, he was childhood friends with the, with the pastor of the church we were attending. So he would come to, come to our church on a regular basis and just share and whatever. So one day he calls me out and speaks this humongous word over me, which I'm like, what, what is this? Nobody knew about this stuff back then. Nobody knew anything in our area about the prophetic and all of a sudden, I'm, this guy's laying hands on me, such as I have, I give to you. So I don't actually do that. Such as I have, I give to you. Now, Mark is a pretty high-level prophet. Okay? And you know what else is so funny? He's also a life coach. <laughs> I found that out after I went through the training. Anyway, so, so you know, all to say is that, that I, I got launched in the prophetic, had no support, had nobody telling me what to do, and I single-handedly split a church. Okay? Because when you're prophetic, you, you know, you're seeing things, you're hearing things, but you don't know how to process them. You don't know the context into which those things are supposed to be spoken. Right. And so it wasn't until a number of years later that I found out about a ministry called Christian International, run by Bishop Bill Hammond. They're located in Florida. And let me tell you something. Bishop Hammond is no joke. He is literally the father of the, of the modern prophetic movement. He took the, the prophetic movement and gave it structure, gave it accountability. Awesome stuff. So I learned a whole heck of a lot through that. But what most of the prophetic ministry that has been engaged in, most of it over these last decades, has been in the arena of personal prophecy, right? You get a word just as Angela was doing. You know, what, what we learned, what I learned in my training was that Papa is so good. He has a word for everybody. And you've learned that as well. You can, I can walk around and do the same thing and just basically give every single one of you a word from the Lord. Why? Because Papa loves you. Right? I got three kids. If they all came to me for a conversation, I think I'd find something to say. Right? He's even better than, than any of us could be as parents. So we we engaged in that. We did a lot of that. It's been the primary focus of the prophetic now for decades. But thankfully, in all these things, the Lord is taking us to another level of maturity in the prophetic. And what's so exciting about that is that we can now actually see the word of the Lord come to pass in more than just one life, but in a region, in a city, in an area. And so, you know, I, I've been fascinated for a long time by the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. I actually had someone prophesy this over me at some point in my life. Jeremiah 1.10, see, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And as I as I pondered that word, as I've looked at that word over the years, I'm like, OK, Lord, what does that mean? 
what, what do these words actually mean? And I always had in the back of my mind, someday I'm going to really get, dig into this and really understand this because I want to know what the heck this is all about. And one of the important things that you have to understand about a word like this, this is the old covenant. Okay? This was spoken to a man under the old covenant. Now, why is that important? Because under the old covenant, God dealt with people in a much different way than he does now under this new covenant, right? He dealt with people very strictly according to sin, according to the law, all of these sorts of things, right? This is what he had to do. Why did he have to do it? Because it was impossible at that time for Holy Spirit to come and dwell in people. The blood of bulls and goats only covered over sin. It didn't cleanse. It didn't take it away. So Holy Spirit could not come and live. So in other words, God had to make things very clear. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do that. Don't mess it up. All right. And there were strict consequences for when people messed it up and when Israel, by the way, messed it up, right? How many stories do we see in the Old Testament where Israel screwed up, they got they got uh, attacked by a, a, a pagan country, got defeated, overthrown, scattered, all this mess happened. Why? Because they didn't follow the law. So when you see a scripture like this under the Old Covenant, it has some very pointed applications where Jeremiah would, would be able to declare the judgments of God over situations and over people. Okay. Under the new covenant, we don't do that. We're not in the business of declaring God's judgments over people. Why? Basically because Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he took the judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been set free from the judgments of God by the blood of Jesus. When he cried out, it is finished, it truly was. It wasn't just a half-baked job. It was a complete, full redemption from the effects of sin. And so, we're not in the business of, you know, saying that I'm going to pluck you up and I'm going to break you down. I'm going to destroy you and overthrow you. Much as we would like to do that. Let's be honest, right? Wouldn't you just love to be able to stand there in front of Congress? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or something like that and just, you know, vent your spleen you know, over there, you know, over all the stupidity that goes on in some places, right? Well, yeah, we don't do that under the new covenant. There's a whole different way of approaching this. However, these truths that are here in this verse can be understood from a new covenant perspective so that we can actually do them. In a new covenant way. And so what the Lord showed me here is that these words, these phrases are actually uh, indicative or representative of six actions that we can take prophetically. And I like that because I think for for too long, you know, we as the body of Christ have been kind of content to talk about stuff. You know, let's have fun talking about all this stuff and let's lay hands on one another. Let's have a bless me party and all this kind of good stuff. You know, we've done that for so long and it's good because a lot of us needed the healing. Right. A lot of us, a lot of us needed to be set free from stuff. But at some point, at some point, you grow up and you say, it's time to get to work. It's time to live like 
mature sons and daughters of God. Where we don't need to be taken by the hand and we don't need to be shown how to do things. We, we know, we've learned, we've grown. Now, if you're not there yet, don't feel bad. You'll get there. And you know what? You're going to get there much quicker than most of us. Because this is a season of acceleration. It's a season where God is growing and, and you know, doing things quickly. Right? So if you're brand new to the faith, don't worry about it. You're going to get where you need to be real quick. Because that's just how it is right now. What took me 30, 40 years to get, you'll get in 30, 40 days. How about that? <laughs> and it'll be good. Because you're, you're going to stand on my shoulders and Gary's shoulders and all Angela's shoulders. Everybody that's, that's gone before and that has plowed the ground and has done the work and figured out what God is trying to say and carries that anointing, you get to stand on, on our shoulders, right? And I'm sorry that I can't make you much higher. But all right, I'll stop with the short jokes. All right. So that's the scripture. Let's look at let's look at the first phrase, which is pluck up. The Hebrew word is nothash. It means to pull up, expel, or root out. I want to share some scriptures with you. I'm going to do this quickly because we're actually going to engage in this today. We're going to do we're going to uh, practice how to do this, and I want to make sure we have enough time. Okay. So this idea of plucking up, it the the, the New Testament equivalent. Is to cast out, cast out a demon, cast something out. Okay, that's the new. De- we have to realize that that in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord would come against people and nations, but for us, the word of the Lord comes against the enemy and his demons. Okay, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We wrestle against the principalities, powers, and all that nasty stuff in the darkness, right? So that's what we're focused on. So this idea here of casting out is very important. And, you know, Jesus said something very significant in John 12, 31, 32. He said, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So here's Jesus right before his crucifixion saying, now, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Let me ask you a question. Is the devil still around well how can Jesus say he's going to be cast out he keeps coming back he keeps coming back (laughs) 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 he's just like that that, yeah well anyway so yeah um, that's a good answer John it's not the truth but it's a good answer (laughs) you're trying to tell me that Jesus wasn't strong enough to cast him out once and for all here's the deal The devil was cast out of his position as ruler of this world. Okay? Jesus was very clear that all authority was given to him in heaven and on earth. So if Jesus has all authority, who has none? Okay? You got to get this. The devil has zero authority. A lot of Christians still believe that the devil has power over them. And you know what? He does. Be it done to you according to your faith. If you believe that the devil still has power and authority over your life, guess what? He's going to do that. He will take advantage. He doesn't play fair. Have you figured that out? He doesn't play fair. If you're if you're ignorant of some truth in the word of God and he knows he can leverage that to screw you up. Guess what? He'll do it. What? 
You told me he comes back? Well, again, he never left, but he was cast out of his place of authority as ruler of this world. It's so important that we understand that. And so when Jesus went about preaching and, and teaching in their synagogues, as it says in Mark 139, he cast out demons. He was demonstrating the fact that the devil and his kingdom was being eliminated by his presence on the earth. Okay. Now, that would be awesome in itself, but it doesn't stop with Jesus. He spoke to us in Luke 10, 19, and he said, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. I love that verse. I used to speak that verse like multiple times a week. Thank you that the enemy has no, that I have authority over all the power. Do you realize that authority trumps power? Authority trumps, it's not a political statement, but authority trumps power. Okay? It does. If I have, let's look, look, look at me, right? Let's say that I'm a cop and I pull somebody over and the guy I pull over is this huge heavyweight, you know, champion or some you know, WWE guy that could probably break me in half with his finger, right? Now, he's got a lot more power than me. But guess what? I have more authority than he does. And so even though I'm a, you know, 98-pound, I'm not really 98. I wish I was, but I'm not. But even though, you know, I'm much smaller, much weaker than him physically, I have authority that is greater than his power. That's what we're talking about. We have that. So, What's the action here that the Lord is, is wanting us to focus on? And it's very simple. That we can make prophetic declarations of this authority. When the when it you know when the, the situation warrants, we can look at it and say, in Jesus' name, I declare that I have authority. Over this nonsense, whatever it is. Okay. That's a stance, that's a statement, that's a declaration that I'm making. And what makes it prophetic is that when the Lord shows you some situation, some circumstance where the enemy is operating, when he shows that to you, that's revelation. See, that's all the prophetic is. We're hearing what's on the heart of the Father for somebody or for some situation. And when you get that, it's like, Jesus' name, I declare I've got authority over that. Okay? And that's that's a really first important first step that we need to make. All right, let's look at the next word. Break down. It's just to pluck up and to break down. Okay? Uh, this can be best understood. Uh, the Hebrew word, I'm going to give you, by the way, don't, don't, you don't have to go too crazy with this. I'm going to hand this out in a little while. It's all the notes that I'm covering. Okay? I just didn't want you to be distracted. <laughs> so, so the idea here is that we're we're pulling down, breaking down, uh, throwing down lots of these down words, okay, that are uh, you know in this particular Hebrew word. And the New Testament equivalent of this is this idea of pulling down strongholds. Okay, you familiar with that from Second Corinthians ten? Um, Paul writes in verses 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 
which King James translates as pulling down strongholds. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. I don't have time to get into the depth of that, but understand that this idea of pulling down strongholds, of, of casting them down, destroying these fortresses, what is that? Strongholds are mindsets that we all have, by the way. Okay, Every single one of us still has some strongholds. <gasps> Not me. Yes, you. <laughs> and so do I. Because we all have these ideas that have been kind of entrenched part of who we are for years and years, right? That we just... We don't think much about it. Just like, ah, that's okay. You know, if you were raised, for example, in, in an environment where one of the ways you expressed yourself was through hitting somebody, right? You're trying to get, your, get their attention. You're trying to make a point. And you, just, you, ever, you ever know somebody like that that just you're constantly with the hands? You know, you just want to grab their hands. Stop! <laughs> right? Well, that's a cultural thing. They learned that. And they don't think there's anything wrong with it until somebody says, you know, that's not really what you do in polite company. <laughs> You want want to do that at home, that's fine. But, you know, no, don't do that here. Right. So those are the kinds of things we're talking about. Ideas, belief systems and whatnot that are that are there. They're entrenched. They've been part of who we are for years. And we don't, you know, so you can you can go into a place like that. You can be be speaking with people like that. And, you know, we live in a culture today right now where many Christians have no problem fornicating and living together and engaging in those kinds of things because everybody does it. The generation that grew up watching Friends, okay, now believes that that's normal life. Okay? The generation that grew up watching Will and Grace now believes that that's normal life. And so those are mindsets. Those are things that have become entrenched in people's minds and they just think, oh, whatever, you know. It's what we do. And say, well, that's what you do, but it's not what God wants you to do, right? So so we have that. We have Romans 12, 2, where Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's the thing that we're looking to do, right, is to bring the truth into these situations so that people's minds get renewed, so that they find out what the truth is and the truth will do what? Make them free. Okay. Um, But here's the key. Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. (sighs) There's so much here. You know, for years, we we played at this whole thing of pulling down strongholds. How many of you are old enough to remember going up to the high places, going up to pull the, right? That's not how you pull down strongholds. I mean, it's so funny because I look back on that and realize that the devil just had a good laugh. And us, with all of our theatrics, you know, and and stuff that we did, just marching around and shouting and you know, and singing these songs and stuff, and 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 the devil is totally content to have us do that in the in the church, because it's it's not having much of any effect on the world around us. Have you figured that out? 
So we're not pulling strongholds down by simply saying, I'm pulling strongholds down. No, it's called speaking the truth in love. Now, this particular phrase has been so misinterpreted, it's not even funny. People will say to you, speaking the truth in love means I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to say it nicely. (laughs) Or I'm going to use tough love. Ever hear that one? Tough love. You know, this is going to hurt me as much as it hurts you. I really doubt that. Somebody ever says that to you, don't believe them. Because whatever they're about to say, it's going to hurt you a heck of a lot worse than it's going to hurt them to say it. So that's that's a lie. That's not speaking the truth in love. I had a revelation on this recently that absolutely blew my mind. Speaking the truth in love. Who is love? God is love, right? So you can actually translate this speaking the truth in God. Because God is love. Now what does that mean? How do you do that? It's pretty simple, really. Just because I can look at you and see that there's something wrong in your life. Right? You ever do that? You notice some, somebody... You hear somebody, they say something, they do something, and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's wrong. And if, if you're not quite there yet, you know, you start to gossip about the person. <laughs> Did you say what? Anyway, well, let me get too off, off track here. So we, we see these things, right? And we believe that it gives us the right to talk to somebody about their sin. Talk to them about what's wrong with them. Come on. I'm the only one that does that. <laughs> At least shake your head. <laughs> you agree, right? You understand that, right? Yeah. So, so we we just do that. We just launch right out and say, you know what? That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Blah blah blah. And what happens? Nine times out of ten, the person like, who the heck are you? What right do you have to judge me? Okay? How dare you do that? Can I tell you why that happens? It doesn't happen because what you're saying is wrong. It happens because God is not saying that to them right now. See, when we speak the truth in love, we have to speak what he's saying to them. Now, that's a prophetic thing. I need to hear, Papa, what are you saying to them about that? And I promise you, nine times out of ten, he's going to say nothing. I'm not talking about that to them right now. You know why? Because they have five or six other things way more serious than that thing that you saw that they're dealing with. And he never overwhelms us. Can you imagine? What would it have been like if the moment you got saved, God poured out all this revelation about what was wrong with you? I, I think I saved exactly, you wouldn't be saved anymore. You know, I, I liken it to not. just be, being a puddle on the floor. You know, it's not all over myself. Oh God, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> so he doesn't do that. He takes us by the hand, leads us step by step, and at the right time, in the right way, he will put his finger on what he wants to deal with. Isn't that good? So it's up to us to partner with him. And allow him to show us what he's actually dealing with in that person's life so that we can then speak the truth. Because you know what? If he's already talking to them about it, what you say is going to be confirmation. What you say is going to actually encourage them. Because when God talks to us about things, he does it in an encouraging way. It's like, hey, you know that little thing right there that you've been messing with? Don't you think it's time we, we dealt with that? 
so you don't have to worry about that anymore. Right? Very gentle, very encouraging in how he does it. And so that's what we want to do. We want to partner with him on that level. So what's the action? It's a prophetic declaration of God's now word of truth. The now word. Not the word that you think it should be or what you want it to be. But it's what is God actually saying here and now. Because that's the word that will pull down the stronghold. That's the word that will bring the freedom that people need. Okay? The next word is destroy. And that's pretty much what it means to destroy, put to death. And um, this, what it has in it, it has an aspect of divine judgment. That's what this word is talking about, divine judgment. Now, remember what I said earlier. Under the new covenant, we're not pronouncing divine judgment on people because Jesus paid that. He was judged by the Father. So in what way is there still a divine judgment? The judgment is against the devil and everything that he does. And that's a done deal. It's a done deal. God pronounced a judgment against the enemy. And so what do we want to do is we want to look at that and enforce it because the devil is a stinking liar. And he will move against you as if he has every right to until you stand up and say, you don't have that right. Back off. Right? But that's what he does. He'll try to bluff his way into your life or into somebody's life. And if he can intimidate you, he's got you. He's got you. Right? So, um, one scripture that I love that really, I think, brings this out, believe it or not, is an Old Testament scripture. Psalm 149, verses 6 to 9, it says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So again, I know it's it's talking about nations and peoples and literal kings and nobles, but we're talking about the enemy and his structures, the enemy and his things. That's the judgment has been spoken. And guess what? We get to be the sheriff. There's a new sheriff in town and you gotta go, right? Come on, this is what we get to do as, as God's kids, right? Uh, John, First uh, John three eight, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, and we get to participate in that thing, in that destruction. Those works have been judged. We enforce that, and and it has to go away, right? When Jesus was with his disciples in Matthew sixteen, he asked them, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter pipes up. You're the son of God. Well, he didn't sound like that, but he said, you're the son of God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God, right? So the, the Jesus said, well done. Yeah, flesh and blood didn't reveal that, but my father who is in heaven, he says, I also say that you are Peter and upon this rock, not a little stone that Peter was, but on a rock, a big rock. What was the rock, Scott? Where'd he go? He heard the voice of the Father. <laughs> it's true. We had such a good discussion on this. You know, people, and it, I, I don't disagree with the interpretation that the, the, the rock is Jesus, because he is, right? But contextually, you can make the case that the rock 
is hearing the voice of the Father and receiving the revelatory truth from the Father. Upon that rock, that we're having this personal relationship with Him where He speaks to us and gives us truth. All right? But upon this rock, what? I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not, Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So, when you combine that with Matthew 6.10, where Jesus commands us to declare your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're now operating in a realm of prophetic declaration, right? Where, whether it's through worship or through the word, we are declaring that the will of God is now legally binding on this situation, See, there's another thing that, that we've been kind of taught wrong. I don't know about you, but I was taught that to bind something means to tie it up. Right? And so, devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. It's like, you know, we're trying to tie him up and, you know, prevent him from doing stuff. But the true meaning of the word is in a legal sense to say that this law is legally binding on this situation. I don't know about you. I like that a whole lot more. Because now it's saying that whatever God has decreed, whatever he has declared, whatever he has proclaimed, whatever has been written in heaven is now to be legally binding upon this situation that we're facing right now. And we get to declare that we get to declare in this situation. Like, for example, you're you're dealing with cancer in this situation. The will of God is binding on this thing. Jesus paid for that, so it's got to go. Okay? That's what we're talking about. So we're talking about a declaration that can come through worship or the word that God's will, God's word is legally binding in this situation. Alright? Let's move on. If you have any questions, you can stop me because I'm going fast here. I can't believe how much time I'm taking. It's like, trying to get through this. Anyway, the next one is overthrow, um, which has to do with with the, you know, throwing down, tearing down. A lot of these words are kind of similar in uh, in their meaning in the Hebrew. But I'm asking the Lord, I'm like, okay, so so what is it that you want? Uh, this, how does this, you know, get, get understood from a new covenant perspective, right? So one of the meanings of this word is to break through. Right? This word overthrow means to break through. And that immediately for me kind of brought to mind the whole process where we're releasing the kingdom in the earth. We get to release, right? What did Jesus do? Matthew 4, 17, it says that he began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's just telling people, hey, time to change your mind. Time to turn around, time to look at stuff the way God wants you to see it. It's time to repent because his kingdom is close enough to touch. That's the, that's the key right there, right? And so when, when he said to the disciples, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What does that mean? That whatever kinds of things bind up people, put them in chains, cause them to be in bondage in some way. God has already said, I set you free. 
through Jesus, through the blood, he's already made declaration that that stuff, addiction, you know, whatever kind of addiction it might be, uh, habit patterns that you think you can't break, uh, cultural issues that seem, you know, generational issues that seem like they just can't, you know, be overcome. All this stuff, God's already said, it's done, it's broken. The power of that is gone. But we have to enforce that on the earth. Why? Because the devil still acts as if he's in charge. You know, he's so deluded, he's still, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> exactly. So, so here we are talking about releasing, loosing on earth, releasing what has already been loosed in heaven, setting free what has already been declared free in heaven, right? So then the other part of this is in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God and all of that, right? Well, three times you know, he says, stand firm. Defensive stance. But the one time he says, go and resist the devil. That's offense. That's going into places and saying, no, no, you can't do this anymore. I have authority to stop what you're doing and to release the kingdom of God. Release the power of God. Release people from the enemy's grip. Okay? That's what we have. We have that, that authority to do that. James put it this way. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay? Keep in mind, this is not just kind of like all of us kind of like hunkered together in our little thing here going, Oh God, we're going to have to fight the devil. No. It's going out. Taking us out on the road. And wherever you are, whatever kind of situation you're up against, this is what the Lord is saying. You have an authority right now. To make some declarations prophetically where there is a, a, a willingness to repent. See, there has to be a willingness on the part of people to say, I, I, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change some things. I, I can't continue in this kind of a mode. If people are there, if they're ready to make a change, you have unfettered freedom to set them free. Okay? Isn't that good? So we're talking about repentance. We're talking about followed by. Oh, by the way, there are three kinds of repentance. There is individual, corporate, or identificational. Identificational repentance is when you stand there in the gap representing some group of people. Say, God, on behalf of so-and-so or this group, I, I repent. Daniel did that in his prayer to God. In, in, in I forget where it is in Daniel. You can find it. <laughs> right? He repented on behalf of Israel. Okay? Sometimes that has to happen where we are willing to stand because it's maybe our generational line, it's our family, it's our tribe, it's whoever. We're going to repent for them. Otherwise, you can do it individually, the person who does it themselves, or if it's a group thing, you do it corporately. Right? So that's that's what we're talking about. Then then there's the prophetic declaration of freedom where you declare that to the people and the places where the enemy's been ruling. All right, let's quickly move on. Oh, my gosh, two more to go. The next one is build. Okay, and it's talking about building, rebuilding, establishing, causing to continue, right? And this, the New Testament equivalent of this is declaring the kingdom of God come and his will be done, okay? Is making a declaration in a situation, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. By the way, if you haven't heard this yet, let me assure you that that scripture, Matthew 6.10, is not a prayer. 
I know it's in the middle of what's called the Lord's Prayer. But in the Greek, the verbs are written in the imperative mood. The imperative mood is the mood of declaration, of proclamation. We're not asking God to bring his kingdom. He's already done that. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's among you. So we already have the kingdom. The moment you become a Christian, the kingdom of God comes to exist in you, in your heart. And our role in the earth today is to extend and expand the kingdom rule of Christ. And we do that by bringing things under his lordship. Sickness, disease, infirmity, uh, bondage, whatever kinds of things that there are out there that the enemy's been doing. Just like Jesus did. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick. Right? You know, all these things, that's what we're called to do. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Hasn't happened yet. The gospel's been preached. In probably every country in the, in the world. But not the gospel of the kingdom. And not as a testimony. See, most people overlook that little phrase in the verse. That it has to be preached as a testimony. You know what that means? A testimony is, I have been touched and affected and transformed by the kingdom of God. He wants to do that for you. And I'm going to show you what it looks like. Are you sick? Come here. You're blind? Come here. Okay? This is the thing. We, Jesus is saying that this gospel of the kingdom cannot be simply come to Jesus and get saved. That's important. That's the gospel of salvation. But the gospel of the kingdom is the transformative presence and power of God in people's lives just like Jesus demonstrated. We are supposed to demonstrate that as well. Okay? And Paul goes on and talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians 3 where he talks about how we build a foundation you know, on Christ. He's the foundation. You ever notice, talks about building with, with um, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And that this all going to be tested at the end. How in the world do you, do you decide what stuff you're going to build with? I mean, we all want to build with gold, silver, and precious stones, right? I don't want stuff building with the wood, hay, and straw. You know, what happens? The devil comes and he huffs and he puffs and he blows. <laughs> right? Um, so how do you know what's what? Well, it's very simple. I build with wood, hay, and straw when I build things that come out of my mind, out of my agenda, out of my human perspective. I'm building with the other stuff, gold, silver, and precious stones, when I'm getting his heart, his revelation, his word for me, and I'm obeying that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so the action that we get to do here is we make a, de- a prophetic decree. Now, you know a decree is stronger than a declaration. A decree comes <clears throat> after there's been a uh, banging of the gavel. In the courtroom. And the Lord has issued a judgment in a particular situation. So, uh, 
we are decreeing that God's will and his specific plans for people or situations is going to happen. And it's accompanied by that demonstration of his grace, wisdom, and power. If it's for me, tell them I'm busy. Um, this must be followed out by followed by relevant activities to carry out his plans. And, you know, again, I, I, I have to say that because for so long we've been content to just meet. <laughs> one, of the, one of the deceptions that religion has brought into the church is that when you have a meeting and you talk about something, you've actually accomplished something. You might have got a few things done or maybe, you know, because obviously you got to have meetings sometimes. But the meeting is not the accomplishment. You don't have to do this. I'm going to give this to you in a second. Oh, I'm like, you know, I want to wait. No, no, I'm going to give it to you in about two minutes. Okay, relax. I told you to relax. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> that just sounded like my wife's phone. Is that your phone? No. <laughs> anyway, so so the deal is here, you know, we are going to be able to make declarations about specific things that God wants. The, you know, these decrees are going to come down to. I'm going to rebuild this neighborhood as a clean, safe place. And it's going to look like this. You're going to get a vision for what God wants to do, and then you're able to actually declare that with specifics, details, okay? And once you get that, once you have that vision, once you see that plan, boy, you got to start following it. You got to start fleshing it out, making it happen, right? I, I, the vision I have for for the facility that God is going to give us for KTI, I mean, it's huge. Multi levels. It's gonna have. It's gonna be a residential facility, and I can see it. And so I have to start making plans now. Okay, what am I gonna do when the money comes in? I got that all figured out. What's the first thing we're gonna do once we have enough to buy the? the you know, all these different things, very detailed, as much as you can, without getting legalistic about it. <laughs> all right. But that's what I'm saying, the preparation and then the following through with what God says. So that's the declaration. That's the action that we can take. Final one is the plan. And fascinating one here, because God uses this same word in Isaiah 51, 16, where he says, I put my words in your mouth. I love this verse. This is one of my foundational verses. I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to do three things, to establish the heavens to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. This in the old covenant is a declaration of new covenant ministry. This is exactly what the Lord wants for us to understand about how we're to operate in the earth. It takes a level of maturity to actually do this, but this is where he's taking us right now to establish the heavens. Now, the word there is the same word in, in Jeremiah to plant. Now you might be saying, well, how do you get established out of plant? Think about this. When you plant something, when you put a seed in the ground, what happens? The thing starts to grow. And what was at one point invisible because you buried the seed in the ground, now all of a sudden is visible. You can look and see, oh, wow, look at that. There's a plant that grew from a seed. 
that was in the ground. I couldn't see the seed, but guess what? It grew anyway. <laughs> so God is talking about making what's in heaven visible on the earth. Okay? That's what it's talking about, to, to establish the heavens, to found the earth. That just simply means to put the earth in kingdom order, in heavenly kingdom order. How many of you think there are things that are around you, maybe in your own neighborhoods or your family or your workplace that need to come under the authority and the order of God's kingdom? Okay, this is what we're talking about, right? And then the final one to say designed, you are my people. Oh, my gosh. That's the heart of Papa right there. I just want them to know that that I love them, that they're mine. (laughs) Right. Habakkuk 2.14 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's another verse that is misquoted all the time. People will say that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And they skip over the phrase, the knowledge. Why is that important? In Hebrew culture, knowledge equals experience. It is not just simply intellectual knowing. Okay? You can tell me that, that the sun's rays were warm. Say, okay, I know that now. No, I don't know that until I go out and stand in the sun and just start to sweat. <laughs> okay? That's what we're talking about. So it's the knowledge of the glory people are supposed to experience, have an encounter with God. And guess who is responsible to bring that? It's not the sovereign act of God anymore. He has chosen to partner with you and I as his sons and daughters. So if people are going to have an encounter and experience of God's glory, it ain't happening unless we bring it. Okay? So important. Right? Then um, Paul in, in Colossians 3, he says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on things that are on the earth. What does that mean? Okay, I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places and so are you. Have you ever looked around? Have you ever looked around? I'm serious. Have you ever spent some time in the presence of God and said, Lord, would you show me? What, what, what do you want to show me about what's going on in heaven? Especially stuff that you want me to bring here. As in heaven, so on earth. It's a new thought for a lot of people, but but we get to do that. This is commanded. Set your mind. Make a decision to put your mind on things above. Where you are anyway. (laughs) You realize you got dual citizenship, right? (laughs) We are welcome there. We can stay there. We can hang out. We can climb up on Papa's lap and whatever. It's good. So we have to learn to do that. So that we can see and hear what he wants us to see and hear as to what he wants us to release here on the earth. Final scripture is in Matthew 10, where Jesus sends out his 12 into the various cities where he was about to come. And he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out out demons. Freely you received, freely give. <laughs> That's right there. 
This is what we're talking about. So the final action, right, is to pursue continually the revelation of God that we then take and put feet to. Putting feet to what God shows us, to what he says, to what he wants us to do. See, that perpetuates this whole thing. So these six actions that that we've been given uh, the the ability and the authority to do are so important. I need some help. I'll pass those out. Here's your notes. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want to practice this for about five minutes if we can. I want you to think about some issue that you think we should deal with right now using these six steps. You may not, by the way, you might not, you know, use all these steps for every situation. Okay, this is not some kind of, you know, one through six sort of thing where you have to follow, you know, the, uh, the, the steps to get through some. No, God may say, no, I want you to do this one here and do that one here. You know, it, these are just actions that we can take at any time. 